Phil Vischer, creator of VeggieTales. Phil has recently posted some amazing and compelling videos that have gone viral on systematic racism that tells the story of America, politics, law, and order, and encourages us to care as we build bridges of understanding. Hey folks, we are here for another conversation of hope. I've got Phil Vischer, the creator of Veggie Tales. For those of you who've had children and play them in your homes, he can tell us a little bit more about that. If you don't know him from that, you might know him from Holy Post. It is a, a podcast, it is a conversation, it is a teaching, it is an educational tool that really teaches about race and politics. And, and most of all, uh, Phil, you have been in the homes of so many because of your great creativity. Welcome to Conversations of Hope. Thank you, Dr. Anderson. So glad I can be here. Hey, why don't we start off with you and your relationship with the Lord? Would you mind telling us how you first came to know the Lord as your Savior? <laughs> yeah. Um, well, I grew up in a very, very evangelical family. Uh, grew up in the Christian Missionary Alliance. Oh, wow. And my great-grandfather was a music director for the founder of the CMA, A.B. Oh, Simpson. Wow. I uh, was one of the first radio preachers in America. So I just, I grew up around missionaries and Bible conferences, you know, and in church three or four times a week because wow. my mom was the choir director and my dad would fill in in the pulpit sometimes. And so it was just kind of assumed and inherited on both sides of my family, you know, that yes, you're not only are you going to be a follower of Jesus, but you're <laughs> going to attempt to do big, impressive things for Jesus. Uh, the only thing that, that threw a wrench in that was uh, when I was about nine years old, my dad walked out and uh, oh. walked away from his faith and walked away from his family. Mm. And that really, and we were in small town Iowa, you know, in a, in a church of about 300 people where we were pillars of the church and it almost broke the church wow. to, to see my dad walk away. So he was away from his faith and his family for about four years. Uh, my mom remarried. Uh, you know, I didn't get along with my stepdad very well, didn't like the fact that my dad was just gone out of the picture. So I, I had personally in my faith journey, I, I had a point where, you know, I remember my new stepdad saying, hey, let's have family devotions. And I just remember <laughs> thinking, how can you have family devotions if you don't have a family? Yeah. You know, and yeah. I just I, I came to a point where I was like, either either I'm going to accept this belief system because I actually choose to accept it right. or I'm going to reject it because if I'm only accepting it because of my parents, they really let me down. Mm. And, you know, and I'm a, I'm a more intellectually oriented kid. So that involved, you know, like reading apologetics and, you know, mm. just learning more and more. And I finally decided, no, this I actually believe this. You know, this is actually wow. who I am, not just who my parents wanted me to be. And uh, since then, so that was like 18, 19 you know, years old, then went to Bible college, got kicked out, um, started trying to figure out how I was going to do something big for Jesus, like my grandparents and great-grandparents and great-great-grandparents, and settled on uh, talking vegetables somehow. Wow. Well, you know, I think I was around 18 when I made that same kind of uh, decision, I, when I realized I couldn't uh, ride on my dad's amens and my mom's hallelujahs, and I had to really surrender to Christ for my myself. So we've kind of got that in, in common. What we, what we don't have in common, to be honest with you, Phil, are vegetables. I'm a steak guy. Yeah. And uh, yeah. <laughs> but, yeah. Uh, yeah. somehow I, you was... made, made vegetables fun. 
How'd you there do that? was it was nothing in particular about vegetables that I liked. Uh-huh. It was the fact that they were very simple shapes, you know. And in uh, 1990, when I first developed Bob and Larry, I was I was a computer animator in Chicago, working in the advertising industry, and mostly doing logos, you know, oh. and things for the nightly news or you know a can of beer for a Budweiser commercial, you know. And that was about oh. the state of the art for computer animation. 89, 1990, with the Scrubbing Bubbles TV commercials were the most right. elaborate characters. Right. You know, so this was like five years before Toy Story. And so I thought, I need a really simple character if I'm going to tell stories to kids that I can actually animate myself. Um, and I, I decided, oh, how about a candy bar? A really simple, just a candy bar. And so I made a candy bar and I gave him a little face. I thought, he's kind of cute. And then I just gotten married and my wife walked by and saw the candy bar on the computer screen. I was working at home and said, you know, moms are going to be mad if you make their kids fall in love with candy Uh, bars. Smart woman. I said, okay, what's kind of shaped like a candy bar, simple like a candy bar, but moms wouldn't mind their kids falling in love with. And the next thing that popped into my head was a cucumber. And that's where VeggieTales came from. That is is amazing. Uh, The first one is still in in my head, of course, uh, Where is God When I'm Scared? I remember singing with with my kid who was born in the mid-90s. And I have three kids, and they grew up in the mid to late 90s. You know, God is bigger than the boogeyman. I mean, (laughs) you had parents all over America singing that. That was, I'm not, I, there are guitars on the wall behind me. I am yeah. not, I am not a guitar virtuoso. I am not a musical virtuoso. I, I'm not very good. I can't write anything complex because I'm just not good enough. So, so God is Bigger Than the Boogeyman was actually the first song I ever wrote for VeggieTales. My wife is a music major. She was at Wheaton College in the Conservatory of Music. I played I it for that. her on my guitar, three chords. God is bigger than the boogie. boogie. And she said, that's too simple to be a song i'm sorry that's too (laughs) he's bigger than godzilla and yeah i remember thinking well i hope this can be a song because i can't write anything Mm. more complex than this so if i'm going to write songs for this show this needs to qualify as a song and i discovered then that simple is sticky and kids love simple and so that was you know some people say wow how do you write such simple songs They're the only ones I can write. Right, right. It's bigger than Godzilla and the monsters on TV. I mean, that's that's brilliant because it's, I think a lot of parents use that to help their kids even when they're scared yeah. at night. Yeah, yeah. Wow. In fact, we've had we've had stories from parents whose whose kids have used that song when they're going through cancer treatment. You know, so oh, wow. we just you, sometimes you're just in the middle of your work day going la la la. I work, and then you you get a letter from someone and you read it and suddenly you're bawling in your office. Yeah, and it's like wow, right. I I didn't see that I didn't see that coming at all. Right. So, uh, were you surprised at its success and how much it was necessary yeah. in our culture? Uh, yeah, I was. I thought I was making something for Christian bookstores, you know, and I thought, well, okay, hopefully a few enough people will find this that that I can generate enough sales to make another one. That was my goal. I just want huh. to be able to make another one after I've made huh. the first one. And for, a, for about two years, it looked like that wasn't even going to be possible. Like, oh, it's not happening. It's not working. And then all of a sudden, it was Christmas 1996. It had been out for two years. Right. And suddenly, it just went over the top of the hill and started accelerating rapidly. Wow. Um, and, we, you know, and then it just turned into this amazing ride where, you know, hey, we just got a call from Kmart. You know, they want to know where they can order VeggieTales. Like, oh, we're not even set up for that. I don't know. So it was an amazing ride for about five years of, you know, look what God is doing. This is amazing. And then uh, for the next five years, it turned into uh, me pursuing 
a, a dream to be Walt Disney that God never asked me to pursue. And, and I made that my new identity. And I think it went back partly to my dad leaving and not being sure who I was, not being sure if I had value um, and thinking, wow, you know, who am, I'm, I'm the next Walt Disney. I think that would bring, you know, obviously that would impress God. It would right. impress my grandparents. It would impress, you know, my dad. It would impress everyone. And I feel invisible. So I'm going to be the next Walt Disney. And because it was working and God's hand seemed to be on it, you know, it's like, hey, we actually have more money coming in now than we're spending. I'm going to start hiring people like crazy. So I went from, you know, uh, we had 30 people on staff in 1997. By 1999, we had 210 people on staff. Oh, my goodness. Uh, we were the biggest animation studio in between the coasts. And I just thought, you know, I'm Walt Disney. I'm building the next Disney company. Oh. And I just, I was not... I was not set up for that. I w I'm, a, I'm an introvert. I'm a shy kid that likes to be huh. in the basement playing by himself. And suddenly I was in HR meetings and with bankers and marketing. And, and it, was, it made me miserable. I put myself in the emergency room with pericarditis, a viral infection in my heart oh, caused by yeah. stress. So I was killing myself to try to be someone that God had never asked me to How be. Because wow. I was pursuing impact, not pursuing... Christ. Wow. Well, that thing is, I think that's a word for a lot of people right there, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah. Because we can pursue Christ. We can, we can think we're pursuing Christ when we're pursuing impact because it's for Christ, right? right. Ultimately, when I become a big star, this is going to be so good for Jesus. Right. <laughs> right. right. <laughs> Jesus is even me. going to like me better. He will thank me for becoming that's such right. a big star. Yeah. Uh, and yeah. And so instead of, you know, he, I mean, God is watching me kill myself. I'm miserable. It's affecting my marriage. It's affecting my health. And, and I overextended the company so much and overextended myself so much that it just fell apart. The whole thing is, you know, in, in 2003, ended up in a, in a bankruptcy courtroom. Oh, wow. Uh, watching the whole thing fall apart and get sold to the highest bidder, thinking, God, how could you let this happen? You know, didn't you see how hard I was working for you? Right. And the response was, you know, I didn't let this happen because I don't love you. I let this happen because I love you so much. Were you disillusioned and, at all with God when that happened? I, I wasn't disillusioned. I was confused. And actually, the first the first thing I turned on, rather than turning on God, which maybe partly because of my intellectual wiring, but also I'd seen God show up. Right, you know, early okay. in the company, I had seen God show up. Mm. So there was no, you know, Faith I guess crisis. there's no. Yeah. yeah, there was no, I guess there's no God. Right. Because this happened. Because I'd seen him. Time right. and time again. So the question was, what's wrong with my theology that made mm. me think he was obligated to do this for me? Mm. Mm. And I started to unpack that. And, you know, and reading, uh, I remember reading a Bible study by Henry Blackaby, a, you know, 80-year-old yeah. Southern Baptist church planner. And he started out this Bible study by saying, if what you have told people you are doing for God isn't yes. working, <laughs> maybe it's because it didn't come from God, but mm. rather from you. And God doesn't call us to be impressive. He calls us to be obedient. Yeah. And it just and like joining what he's doing, right? Yes. I yes. remember like, that what from is, Blackaby. Yeah. What is God doing? And are you joining him, not yeah. asking him to join you? And yeah. that completely, you know, I had to deconstruct my yes. theology of work and my theology of impact to come back and realize, you know, my purpose on life isn't to have impact, it's to be obedient. And when I walk with Christ, I'll have exactly the impact he wants me to have. But even better, I'll have the joy that goes along with it, yeah. not the stress of not knowing if I'm doing enough. 
that whole experiencing God thing, it seems so simple, but it was revolutionary even in my thinking back in the yep. day when I read read that and he just say, join him where he's working. So then you yep. start looking for, well, where's God working? And let me, let me jump in there. Well, it seems like God has been working in your life, not just through the VeggieTales uh, era, which, by the way, you can YouTube that and still watch it. I actually watched, watched Bob the Tomato today, you know, and sang the song, and it's in my head, and all the different uh, episodes uh, my kids still remember, but there's no, there are no longer videotapes. You know, now it's YouTube links. Right, right. But when we think about where God's working, Phil, I was sort of introduced to you, not as uh, the creator of, of VeggieTales, but of your holy posts. Uh, and someone sent me uh, on my phone, just copied link, sent to me. I opened it up and it was about 12 to 15 minutes on systemic racism. I still have it saved in my phone because when I have a hard time trying to explain systemic racism, especially to my white brothers and sisters who I love and, and I, are in my family, my church and everything. But sometimes there's a disconnect understanding what is right. systemic racism. And then I open up your your holy post, your podcast, YouTube video. And I'm like, this guy's explaining it so simply. Images, stats, clarity. Wow, I want more. I mean, I think God must have been telling you that this is where he's working, where he's moving, and you need to join him there. Would Mm -hmm. you say yes to that? And what was that journey coming out even as a white dude talking about racism. Yeah, uh, it was an interesting journey. My my brother um, is a Harvard Law grad who is now the dean of a law school in Minneapolis. Uh-huh. So he's the dean of the law school of St. Thomas University. And uh, uh, four years ago, when Philando Castile was shot by police, yeah. there were huge protests that was in Minneapolis. There were, he was right. the dean at that time. Huge protests. Uh, a group of protesters shut down I-94 in downtown mm-hmm. Minneapolis. People were outraged. It came out in the news that one of the leaders of that protest was one of his law professors, an African-American woman that worked for my brother. Huh. There were calls you know, from angry alumni, as you would expect, to fire her for doing that act of civil disruption. And my brother decided instead, he wrote, he wrote, back to the the people that were angry and calling for her to be fired and said, instead, here's what I'm going to ask you to do. I'm going to ask you to try to think of what would have to happen in your life that would make you so upset that you would do what she just did. Mm. There's a question. What would it take? And it just, you know, it just completely diffused the situation. And that also kind of awoke him to why was she so upset? Why are people so upset? So he started reading. He started reading the new Jim Crow. He started reading The Color of Law um, and, and some other, you know, key recent books on, hey, guess what? We didn't solve racism in 1968. Right, right. <laughs> we, we made progress, but it ain't over. Yeah. And so uh, my, my great-grandfather started a Bible conference in northwest Iowa, rural Iowa, full of farmers and, you know, very, very uh, conservative. My brother said, at this year at the Bible conference, I'm going to teach a class on racial injustice. And I thought, oh, you are brave. Let's see how that goes. And so he taught a class, you know, in northwest Iowa on racial injustice. And I was blown away by the stats he had come up with. And I asked him, can I take your stats and turn them into a podcast episode, which I did the next uh, month. And that became our most downloaded podcast episode ever. So that was that was 2017 around Philando Castile. Then we get to 2020 and now it's George Floyd in Minneapolis 
again, again. actually right near where my brother lives. Mm -hmm. So there's protesters outside his, his office. Um, and I'm watching now everyone's on Facebook much more than they were, you know, four years ago. And I'm watching uh, conservative Christians, you know, my white conservative Christian brothers and sisters, many in my own family, passing around Facebook videos and YouTube videos mm. uh, talking about you know, the, these silly protesters and all the dumb things that are happening. You know, and so many of them are just so factually wrong that I thought, okay, okay, I can't get people to listen to that whole 90-minute podcast episode, but what if I could squeeze that down into an easily shareable video that they could just say, oh, no, watch this instead. Instead of watching that, watch this, or watch both of them, and just look at the facts. And I was stunned, you know, because I think the podcast episode was downloaded maybe 30,000 times. Um, in 48 hours, the video was watched more than a million times. Wow. You know, and it's been watched about seven. Viola Davis reposted it on her Instagram account, and 500,000 people watched it just on Viola Davis's Instagram account. Wow. I, I had no idea that that's what I was doing. I was just trying to explain it better for our, our, our podcast listeners and their friends. But it ended up being, hey, the VeggieTales guy <laughs> it gives, gives a really concise explanation yeah. of how we got to where we are today. And everyone seemed to be willing to listen. Huh, any backlash from you stepping out to do this? <laughs> oh, no, no. Why would there be backlash? Yeah. <laughs> it's ridiculous. Oh, my goodness. No, yeah. no, one has, no one has taken sides on any of these issues. Right, right, right. I, I sense sarcasm. Um, yeah, yeah. You know, for quite my, a bit of backlash. Well, for my white brothers and sisters who do try to build these bridges of reconciliation. You know, I wrote the book Gracism, and you try to learn how to, you know, bring the solution to racism through gracism. You, you try to build bridges of love and unity, bringing awareness and education and all of that. So they go on the journey you go on, and then and, and your brother, and then, and then they speak out, and all of a sudden they, they get this backlash. And yeah. then after that, what I have found is there's a, there's a why in the road. And it's either you keep going down, realizing you're going to continue to get this backlash, or you say, you know what, I did my part, but I'm not going to lose my family, my friends, my church, and then they move over back to where they were beforehand. Have you found yeah. that as well? Uh, yeah, yeah. I, I, it was so encouraging to have so many African-American Christian brothers and sisters mm. reach out and say, thank you thank for you. speaking up. Yeah, yeah. You know, thank you for speaking up. That when, you know, a white Christian brother and sister would reach out and say, but Thomas Sowell says you're wrong, or but Candace Owens says you're wrong, yeah. you know, and you realize they're, they're cherry picking the voices, the minority of African-American voices that are approved by conservative right. white people. That's right. Which they don't <laughs> mind I, platforming. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And I just, you know, it's like, okay, well, well, let me, first of all, let me listen to what they're saying that makes you think what I'm saying is wrong. Yeah. And then will you allow me to respond to you? Yeah. You know, and that because so many people would just say things like, no, the whole the whole problem with, you know, inner city African-American families is welfare. If there had never been welfare, we, you know, so like, yeah. oh, let me dive into that. Let me dive into that. And I'll make another video about that, which I did like a 20 minute video unpacking key questions that were brought up by the first video, because yeah. I like to learn things because yeah. I want to know, is that true? Is welfare really the whole problem? Let's look at the data. So I just feel like if you can just present the data and say maybe yeah. there's some, I'm sure there's some truth in some of that, but is that the whole truth? 
if you can present the data and talk to people in a reasonable way, the reasonable people will respond well. There yeah. are people that have already made up their mind, you know, how they're going to respond before they even listen to you. And right. honestly, there, there's not much you can do about that. So it's tricky because some people say, you know, you're creating division. In fact, I had a woman reach out, a missionary working in Africa, reach out and say, I'm looking at your Facebook page and you are creating so much anger mm -hmm, mm -hmm. in the church. You need to stop it. Hmm. You know, and, and I, I just, I, I think God cares about racism. And he said, yeah, but we want unity. And I said, well, what about abortion? Do you think, you know, should we speak up about that? And she said immediately, well, of course, my husband was one of the first people to protest at abortion clinics. I said, well, do you think God cares about abortion and racism? And she said, I can't believe you're putting those two in the same sentence. Mm. Okay, well, this is interesting. So we've, you know, many of my white brothers and sisters have built a hierarchy of sin. Yeah. And there are things that are worth people being angry with you about, and there are things that are not worth people being angry with you about. And we've, we've pushed racism way down the list so that no one should ever get mad at you about your position on racism. Right. Uh, and I'm just, you know, the more I spend time with African-American brothers and sisters and hear their stories, my church is now multi-ethnic. We were a, an older white congregation that was dying, uh. had a building we could no longer afford. And our denomination suggested, well, what if you considered merging with this young, growing congregation right down the street from you that's in the same denomination? We said, well, who is it? I said, well, it's a second-gen immigrant Asian congregation huh. with a dynamic young Korean pastor, huh. and, and he would be your pastor. And we thought, oh, what? That's what? Yeah. And we prayed about it for two years, and then we did it. And now, you know, since we merged, the church has doubled in size. Uh, we have many more African-American families, mixed-race families, mm. uh, Latino families, tons of Asian families, That's and then great. all these college kids that want to worship someplace that looks like the world they're actually growing up oh, in. I love it. I love and it. because of that, I have African-American brothers and sisters in my small group. I've served as an elder alongside Asian brothers and sisters and oh. heard their experience of America, which is very different than my experience yeah, of America. Yeah, that's great. And that makes me want to speak up for them because yeah. people will listen to me who won't listen to them. That is wonderful. Being a part of a multicultural uh, church changes everything because when you are at the foot of the cross with your brothers and sisters in Christ who are different in their color, their culture, their backgrounds, it enriches your life, uh, but it also enriches the sensitivity and the empathy that you might not have uh, otherwise. Right. Uh, I had one a white friend and he, he is a friend and we were are sort of talking about uh, race issues, and and he basically said uh, to me, uh, I, "I don't, I don't get it. The racism doesn't affect me. You know, you're always standing up there talking about uh, race and being divisive, but it doesn't, it it doesn't. I don't see it as a problem. Da is what he said to me, and I said, that's because it doesn't affect you. I mean, you know, yeah. so it's yeah. like, okay, if it doesn't affect me, then I don't need to care about it, and if it does affect a lot of other people, I'm not going to believe it." Right, right. When about a year after our, our merger at church, I was on the elders board, um, on the governing board with a young uh, Asian woman. And, uh, you know, we were kind of like, isn't this going great? Isn't this, you know, all us white folks were like, this is going really well. <laughs> and she said, I am so exhausted. I am on the verge of tears all the time. I said, what, what, what? I don't, why? And she said, I don't, when I'm interacting with you folks, I don't know where the landmines are. 
I don't know when I'm going to step on something that offends you. I'm so afraid of offending you guys because I don't know your rules. Mm. You know, and then she talked about when it was just when I went to an entirely Asian congregation, it was the one place all week I didn't have to worry about offending anyone. Yeah, yeah. And I, oh. She could breathe. I, I never would have thought of that in a million years, mm -hmm. you know, that you're having to adapt to our culture. You don't all know the what the rules are. You don't know what's going to offend us. So you feel like you're always on edge. And that was, and that your Sunday was the one day of the week where you didn't have to do that. Yeah. I realized you have given up so much That's to right. make this merger happen. So much more than I've given up. Yeah. You know, and that just makes me want to, you know, our, our, the African-American members of our congregation came to us a few months ago and asked the church if we'd put up a Black Lives Matter sign mm. in the church yard. And it became like, ah, yeah, ah, sure that was ah. a major issue. <laughs> yeah. So we had, a, you know, we had to have a meeting and people were mad and, you know, white people were threatened because they said that's Marxist or satanic right. or something. Right. We can't exactly explain why, but we're pretty sure it's something yeah. really evil. Socialist. And we decided to go ahead and do it, you know, and, and not listen to the majority culture saying this is making us uncomfortable, but listen to the minority culture that was saying this would make us feel seen. Hmm. And what and happened? This sign went up. People leave. We put up the uh, a few. Yep. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> we had a few families leave the church, um, and we decided that the church we wanted to be would have to be okay with that. Yeah, I think this season has caused us all to uh, where well, you could kind of play both sides of the field for a long time because of the last administration and the uh, the unarmed uh, you know black people who have been killed. It's almost like a, a line has been drawn and you can't yeah. play both sides as easily as you right. could before, and you almost have to be more declarative on what side you stand. Have you found that? Out yes. Yeah. I mean, there's been a, a lot of talk, you know, and, and as we do the podcast and we're interviewing people that you probably know, people like Jamar Tisby and Justin Gibney and, uh, you know, Esau yeah. McCauley, who That's wrote right. Reading While Black right. and getting to know these people. You know, there's all a lot of feedback. It's like, wow, you guys are really having a lot of black guests on the show. These mm -hmm. days. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yes, we are. Yeah. Yes, we are. Because I'm I am done with the church being the church, being the white church. You yeah, know, I'm right. just done with that because we did, we, we caused so much harm to the body of Christ when in the early 1900s, we decided that pursuing social needs mm -hmm. and pursuing the gospel were diametrically opposed yeah. and you could only pick one. That's right. That's okay, right. That did not happen in the black church right. because the black church never had the privilege of not having to be concerned about social issues. That's that right. was a privilege to be okay in my life so that I could disregard social issues right. in my preaching. Uh, the black church never had that privilege, so they didn't make that false split. So if we're going to put those things back together, I think our black Christian brothers and sisters are going to be ones that help us figure out how to do it. Yeah. Help my, uh, my white congregants and friends and family uh, who want to be uh, bridge builders. They, you know, there is this thing where it's very hard for whites sometimes to even talk about race. If you address it, they feel like uh, you're being divisive, you know, but there are so many in, that I'm in relationship with who are like, no, I'm with you, I'm in. You know, it, what would you say to them? How do you give them some oxygen, some energy, some positive affirmation to keep going on? Because it's not going to get easier for them, I don't think. Right, R right. You, you really need to recognize where people are coming from and, and the fact that so, so many of us 
um, our worldview is shaped entirely by where we get our news. You know, mm. and so it's pretty easy for me to understand, uh, oh, you know, I am talking, I'm interacting on social media with someone who only watches MSNBC or I'm interacting on, with someone who only watches Fox News. Mm -hmm. you know, and once I know that, you know, like where, <laughs> who's discipling you? And that's, yeah. that's the issue, because yeah. your pastor is probably not discipling you. Uh, the media is discipling you. Mm. you know, and so the way people are, are kind of bubbling their media intake around you know, agreeable, a few, a handful of agreeable voice, voices, you have to understand that if, you know, if someone has never heard of, for example, the, the uh, immigration policies of the last um, uh, administration and how it affected, you know, for example, why did all the major Christian relief agencies sign a letter together decrying the immigration policies of the last administration. Mm. And if you don't understand why all the evangelical relief agencies yes. were protesting the immigration policies and the refugee resettlement policies of the last administration, I know where you're getting your news, unfortunately, and you're not getting the whole picture. So mm. then I need to very gently help you see more of the picture. You know, mm. here, would you read this article? It's from, I mean, we did an interview with the president of World Relief, you know, one of the biggest Christian aid agencies founded by the National Association of Evangelicals. Yeah. You know, this is like rock solid evangelical relief agency. Right out of Baltimore. Saying, yeah, mm -hmm. saying we are raising an alarm about the immigration policy that we're seeing. Um, and so we, we, we need to bring Christian voices to the front more than political voices yeah. to the front, because there are Christians that are saying, you know, we we can't we can't pick sides like this. We can't yeah. be. I mean, did a whole video on why do black Christians vote Democrat and yeah, white I Christians vote Republican? I saw that um, one. And you have to understand how and Christianity. You went back to history on that one, man. Oh yeah, you got to go way back. You got to go way back because it didn't I mean, happen overnight. You explain how they used to be Republican, and you know <laughs> this whole this yep. whole history yep. lesson. I black don't know how people. You, how do you pack black it people in? were Republicans and yes. white Southerners were the Democrats, and then it's it switched. <laughs> it just and and the implications of that switch for American culture were enormous. Yeah. You know, and we're not really so that we we end up in a place where many of my white conservative Christian mm. friends can't conceive that any Christian could vote for a Democratic candidate ever. Yeah. Well, you even, you even did one on abortion, though. I was like, oh, no, are you really going here yeah, with, your, with your other buddy? Uh, what's his yeah, name? Sky. Yeah, Sky. Sky Jatani. That was, uh, that was his idea, and it was based Is that on... why you threw it over to him? Here, you go yeah. teach that one, buddy. <laughs> I, don't want, I don't want my name on this. Right. And then, of course, I introduced it, right, so right, forget, right, about, right, right, right. forget about any deniability. Yeah. Um, yeah, but just pointing out, you know, kind of looking at our sacred cows, yeah. You know, and, and, and why is abortion not only the number one issue for so many Christians when they vote, but the only issue? Right. Well, and, and then when, you, when you lay out the data, though, it's almost like, oh, my goodness, you mean to tell me that if we had all Supreme Court judges that were, uh, you know, pro-life and all these different laws that it's like the data still shows that that wouldn't overturn anything and make less abortion. So then let's talk yeah. about reducing yeah. the number of and abortions. A, and the, the good news is the abortion rate in America has been steadily declining since 1990. Fewer women are, are finding themselves in a position where they need an abortion or want an abortion. So what, whatever we're doing is actually working, whether it's us or just changing you know, dynamics. Um, but it really makes you think how much, how important is it you know, to put a person in the Oval Office solely for that single 
issue? And is it worth ignoring all the other issues? Is it yeah. worth ignoring Jesus' call uh, to help the incarcerated, to help the immigrant, to help the refugee, right. you know, to help uh, the poor? Are we ignoring the poor solely for the benefit of the unborn? And right. is that a biblical position? You know, and so that's what we're, we're, we're trying to push back on is just like, okay, you grew up, if you grew up like me, you know, I grew up in a white church in rural Iowa, you just, we were handed a set of assumptions that you assumed all Christians everywhere believed and had believed since the time of Jesus. Right. So what we need to do is just kind of, let's just take those assumptions one at a time. And now let's, let's talk to a, uh, a Latino Christian brother and sister. Say, mm. do you have these same assumptions? And let's talk to an African-American right. brother and sister or an Asian brother and sister who wasn't raised in America. You know, and say, do you have these same assumptions? Mm. And you realize when you look at the global church, which is now majority non-white and majority, you know, Southern Hemisphere, when you look at the global church, you realize, wow, I'm not just a Christian. I'm a distinctly American 21st yeah. century Christian. Right. What right. does that mean? Yes. What, what, what do assumptions? I need to unpack there to disassociate from the gospel? Um, because there's nowhere in the gospel where it says you need to be, you know, a macho male Republican figure like uh, John Wayne. You know, my right. friend Kristen Dumay, who wrote Jesus and John Wayne and tried to figure out when masculinity became so important to North American Christianity. Mm. Interesting stuff to unpack. Well, you know, what I appreciate about you, Phil, is um, you're a storyteller. At the end of the day, whether it's from Veggie Tales or whether it's uh, your current podcast, you're trying to get a message across through story, but it's not story light. It's it's a literature review. It's history um, uh, studies, historical studies. It's pulling all that together and then simplifying it so that a guy like me, uh, everyday person can actually get it, understand it, and then be able to speak it out to someone else. So I, I so thank you for that. And uh, I would just say that that's what Jesus did. Jesus mm -hmm. was somehow, I mean, he's the greatest theologian of all, right? And he, he somehow takes all that he knows and all the theology and all the experience he has with God, and he simplifies it to tell a parable or a story so that uh, normal human beings can understand. You grew up uh, in the faith. You surrendered to the faith in your teenage years. You never forsook the scriptures. And I, I'm, I'm zeroing in to say that somebody might be watching this and saying, well, this doesn't seem like church. This doesn't seem, seem like politics. It seems like social issues. But the reality is all of this is coming from uh, a scriptural base. Are there some particular scriptures that guide you uh, or verses that just encourage you and help you to mm. think about these matters or endure these days? Yeah, it's different. It's different ones at different times. Uh, Tim Keller uh, pointed me toward a, a commentary on Proverbs, and they tried to summarize, you know, all the Proverbs about uh, the righteous and the wicked. Mm. So, who are the righteous, according to Proverbs, and who are the wicked? Mm. And the best summary they could come up with, which is just like, just radically illuminating, is uh, the righteous disadvantage themselves to advantage their community. The wicked disadvantage their community to advantage themselves. Oh my gosh, wow. And that summarizes... Say you know, that one about, more time for us, would you? The righteous disadvantage themselves to advantage their community and the wicked disadvantage their community to advantage themselves. Mm, mm, mm. And now you think about, you know, like the, the, the white uh, upper middle class Christian tendency 
to want the best schooling for my kids, whether or not the kids in the next town over get quality schooling at all, mm-hmm. you know, but I love my kids and I need to raise my kids and they need to have all the best of everything, even if it disadvantages mm-hmm. because of taxes. And so suddenly policy, like public policy has biblical implications. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you know, yeah. am I voting to advantage myself over my community? Right. Or am I voting to advantage my community over myself? Yeah. And so when you look at that, it just suddenly becomes, you, you just, you can't put public policy in a bucket and say that has nothing to do with my faith. Well, you just you just can't. Public policy is how we yeah. live out our faith altogether. Correct. You know, together. So we ha- we have to care. What we yeah. do together impacts on a much broader scale than anything I can do all by myself. One of the principles of gracism out of the seven principles is I will consider you. Another one is I will share with you. And the idea of it is not simply here's yep. a piece. Of, you can have a piece yeah, of and when, my Yeah, and when Paul... When yeah. Paul is commissioned to go to the Gentiles, yeah. you know, and they say, all right, we're sending you out, Paul. We think you're kosher. We think yeah. you're orthodox. Yeah. You've got our thumbs up. What's the last thing they say to him? But don't neglect the poor. Exactly. exactly. What? What does that have to do with anything? You're supposed to, this is about the gospel. <laughs> but don't neglect the poor. They're together. Yeah. They, they, they are. They, they touch. They do. And we, we've just done a really bad job. Yeah. You know, it's spreading the gospel while neglecting the poor. Well, you're helping us do a better job. Would you take a moment and just give uh, a word of hope? Uh, you know, we're in a time when we uh, have all these different tensions, divisions, and debates, right? And there may be someone, if not someone's, many who are saying, you know what, uh, what's our future going to hold? Do you have a word of hope that would be uh, encouraging for our people today? Yeah, we know exactly what our future holds. We know exactly what our future holds uh, and who holds our future. Amen. God has a plan. He's going to make all things right. Okay? That is inevitable. There is nothing you, Dr. Anderson, can do. There's nothing me, Bob the Tomato, can do to prevent God from doing what God is going to do, which is making all things right. The invitation from him is to be a part of it. You know, you can be a part of making all things right. You can be a part of the kingdom of God, of the kingdom of heaven, and you can show the world what is coming. You know, your community, your church community, your family is a little microcosm of the kingdom that is coming where everything is set right. And And what will attract people to your community your church community, your Christian community, is not how you figured out Pauline theology so well, or, mm. or how you can quote, you know, whatever verse about whatever, whoever, wherever. It's how you show the setting of all things right through love. Mm. You know, it's how you show reconciliation. It's how you're an ambassador of reconciliation. It's, it's yes. how you give to your community, at, even at the disadvantage of yourself. Mm. So, we can do that. We can do that. And I have, I have so many people listen to the podcast that are so frustrated by some of the craziness they see in, in the Christian community. You know, we, we've got prophets that are calling on angels from Africa to come and overturn the election. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You know, and people are going like, are these my people? Is this yeah. my tribe? Yeah. I don't... I don't want to, I don't want to. <laughs> Am I associated with them? You know? Yeah. Yeah. Well, and I, again, I think that that's one of the things that have really uh, separated us because some of the heroes of our faith in this day have gone on one side of the line on the other. The, the lines have been drawn and you think that yeah. they would be where you are and you find out, oh my gosh, no, they're believing conspiracy theories. Right. They're believing spiritual prophecies that have no sense of verification. Who are these people? And you're like, but they were my heroes. 
heroes. What's going on? Right, right, right. So someone reached out to me on Twitter the other day and just said, you know, I just don't know if I can hang on. I just don't know if I can hold on to this. And I just, I just reached out to him and said, hold on, brother, hold on, because we can make it better. Mm, so you know, that is your why, word of hope that we, we can, can, we can make, make it, it better. better. Mm. We can make it better. It, mm. wh- where, where it gets, fr- where we get frustrated and discouraged is when we worry about the scale. But can I make it better everywhere? Of course mm-hmm. you can't. Only God can do that. But you can make it better somewhere. Mm. And if you've made it better somewhere, you are now a part of a community that is shining the light of Christ really to like the that. larger community around you. Even if it's small, it doesn't matter if it's yeah. small. God doesn't care if it's small. He doesn't. He did. How big your garden is is irrelevant. That that God gave you a garden to tend is all that matters. So tend yeah. your garden, and the beauty of that garden, whether it's seven of you or seven hundred of you, the beauty of the relationships within that garden and the love within that garden will attract people all around. Not because they love your great political positions, but yeah. because they love your love. That's all we need to remember. Man, I love what you're saying because it's it's not things will get better. It's that we can be a part of making things better. Yeah, so the totally. hope is not just, I hope that things are going to get better, and I know they will. It's no. God is inviting me to join him in helping yeah. make things right. That's really, really yeah. good, Phil. Thank yeah, I you. think we've been, we've been a little bit seduced by the feeling that the war we're called to is with the world. We mm-hmm. have to clean up the world. In reality, quite often for the church, it's cleaning up the church. You yeah. know, it's, it's <laughs> yeah. If you love one my, another, then the world will know that you're mine. Yes, yes. Yeah. They will know Christ when they see it in us. And if they're not seeing it in us, that's where yeah. we start. That's where we start. Well, I'd like to see Christ in you on one of those guitars, but I understand that you have a really small, <laughs> tiny guitar that they call a ukulele. You want to give us a couple strings? <laughs> these are these are baby these are baby guitars. If you water them, they grow up to be real guitars. But <laughs> I guess they couldn't in Hawaii. They couldn't afford full size yeah. guitars. So why do you, why do you play a why do you play a ukulele? Um, because people are very used to seeing the guitar wonderfully played, which I cannot do. People are not used to seeing the ukulele wonderfully played, so they don't know that I'm not doing it. <laughs> so, hey, Dr. Anderson, thanks for having me here with you. Hey, Dr. Anderson, now I think it's clear to you that hopefully I'm not a maniac, (laughs) a a reasonably trustworthy guy. And now we can point some people to Jesus. I was going to say Jesus in the sky, but that is exactly the kind of, exactly the kind of theology that makes us look for angels from Africa to overturn elections. Oh, man. Well, I tell you what, though, man, no one's ever sung a song to me with the ukulele. You have created history in my life and uh, given us all a smile. So uh, thank you for the work you're doing. I want everybody to check out your podcast. Just go on YouTube, put in Holy Post, Phil Vischer, and uh, start watching what he's doing. Hey, is there any way we can pray for you or bless you, brother? Yeah, we're we're uh, we're honestly wrestling right now before God to say, okay, these the videos we've produced for grownups, which is not what I'm known for, right. um, are in really, that voice right there. <laughs> yeah, are really having an impact. How much more of that are, am I supposed to be doing? Like, mm. where's my time supposed to go? You know, yeah. I'm 54. I've got more time, but I'm not. 20 anymore. So, so where, God, where do you want me to invest my time? You know, and, and where, where can we, where can we show love most, uh, most effectively? Can I still keep doing stuff for kids and doing stuff for grownups? 
That's, that's right. And, and who will support it? You yeah. know, because the world of media has gotten very tricky since everyone decided everything should be on YouTube for free. So you know, not all of us are independently wealthy like you were when yeah. you entered ministry. So yeah, you didn't exactly. have to worry about, about the know, money at all. That's what happens when you graduate from Moody Bible Institute, you know. Absolutely. They give you the big check on the way out the door. Yeah, they sure do. So, <laughs> hey, listen, let's do this for the next 30 seconds. If you wouldn't yeah. mind just praying for me and my congregation and I'll turn it around and pray for you and this is how we'll end it today is that okay awesome great Absolutely. go for it my friend oh heavenly father thank you for dr anderson and mm. uh, the hard work of of bringing uh, reconciliation uh, across races across ethnicity across culture lord we allowed our church to become so divided yeah. um, divided by politics divided by race in so many ways, Lord, and the uh, the brave souls uh, like Dr. Anderson that are saying, no, let's put it back together. Let's put it back together. Mm. Let's show people reconciliation in the church before we try to do it in the world. Lord, I just I thank you for the courage. I thank you for the people that are willing to do the hard work yes, Lord. Um, of being uncomfortable because it's so much more comfortable to be only with people that are just like me. Yes, Lord. But thank you for those people that are doing this hard work uh, to experience discomfort so we can show the world a better way to live. Yes, Lord. Father, I thank you for Phil and how he focused on you and you, you focused on the impact. And thank you for how you made that shift, not only in his life, but uh, as a result, so many of us adults have been touched and kids have been touched. And Lord, now as he thinks about uh, what's next or how he leverages what he currently is doing, would you uh, give him clarity? Would you give his team, uh, his wife, uh, affirmation, confirmation, clarity as they go forward, Lord? And might he feel the the support uh, around him, even as he takes the hits uh, and maybe even some of the negative uh, darts that might come his way for doing whatever it is you're calling him to do uh, through this and beyond this. Be with him, keep him safe and healthy and protected. And once again, God, thank you for creating Phil Vischer and having him be creative in order to help us to know the creator better. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. 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 Amen.